Story Community Church. Our scripture reading today is found in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's been said before that a human being can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but that none of us can survive even one second without hope. That's been said before. But we all know it's not true, don't we? There's a lot of a lot of people live without hope. There, there are some people, maybe even people you know, who have been living without any real sense of hope for years. It's a, it's a widespread problem. Even, even before the pandemic started, experts began noticing trends in our society that they find alarming. Trends, trends such as the increase in drug use and suicide, uh, the decrease in the birth rate, the increase, the rise in levels of depression and loneliness among teenagers. And they've noticed these trends and they've identified what some are calling an epidemic of despair in our culture right now. What a, what a phrase, an epidemic of despair. There are thousands and thousands of people in what is still really the richest country in the world, who, who wake up every morning without any hope that the future that awaits us will be better than today. In, in fact, many people just have this sinking feeling that things are getting worse and worse. There's despair. And all of this makes today's passage very, very important for us. In, in this passage, we're told in verse 2 that through Christ, we have hope. Hope of what? Hope that the economy will improve. Hope, hope that we'll get a better job someday. Hope for happy days with, with our family. No, better than that. It says we have hope of the glory of God. In, in Christ, listen, in Christ, we are looking forward to nothing less than a full participation in the infinite joy, the eternal pleasure of the glory of the living God. We have the hope of the glory of God. And what I'd like to do with this passage is just point out two things that I think we learn here about the hope we have in Christ. I want to talk about the grounds of our hope and then the growth of our hope. By, by the grounds, I mean what it is that makes our hope in Christ certain and sure. And then by the growth, I mean what, what is it that causes our experience of that hope to increase. So first, what, what, is, what is our hope grounded on in Christ? What, what is it that makes our hope in Christ certain and sure, something you can count on? 
Now, in our culture, you know, we often, we often use the word hope to talk about things that we would like to happen in the future, even though we're not really sure that they will. So we'll say things like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope the Yankees win today. I hope I pass my math test this week. We, in other words, for us, hope refers to a longing for a preferable yet uncertain future. Listen, when the writers of the New Testament, when they describe the hope that we have in Jesus, they are not using the word hope that way. Not at all. Listen, in the hope we have in the hope we have in Christ contains no element of uncertainty at all. Our hope in Christ is a solid foundation. It is an unmoving anchor. It is a foregone conclusion. You would say it is a sure thing. In fact, Paul writes in verse 2, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We're, we're so sure that, that God's glory awaits us. It's like we're trash talking. We boast about it. We know it's going to take place. One uh, Christian scholar wrote this, that the phrase, we boast, he said it refers to a sense of celebration and ecstasy beyond the normal levels of joy, right? In other words, we, we are so confident that through Jesus, we will be with God for eternity. We're so confident of that that we start the party right now. We begin, we begin to celebrate and rejoice in it, even though it hasn't happened yet, because it's that certain and sure. Now, why? What makes our hope so certain? Well, verse 1 gives the answer. It says, we have been justified through faith. That word justified in the ancient word, world, it was a legal term that referred to a declaration that a judge might make. A judge perhaps would hear a case and, and then decide that the accused person was, was innocent, and so the judge would declare, I declare this person is justified, not guilty. And that's, that's a sense of what God has done for us through Christ. Even though, listen, we are sinners, right? We do fall short of God's glory. Isn't that true? And yes, we do deserve God's wrath and His judgment. But when we turn to Christ and we place our trust in Him for salvation, God makes a declaration about us, a declaration that can never be undone. God declares that in His eyes, we are righteous. We are, we are loved. We are forgiven. We are accepted. We are embraced. We are welcomed. And it's, listen, it's all because of what Jesus Christ did in our behalf. So if you have turned to Christ in faith and trusted in Him, have you done that? You can do that today. If you've turned to Christ and trusted, listen, here's what's happened for you, believer. All of your sin, and I mean all of it, has been placed on Jesus Christ. He carried it to the cross. He dealt with it there. All of it's gone, and all of his righteousness in the eyes of God has been imputed to you. God gives you credit for the goodness of Christ. That's what it means when it says, you've been justified. Now, because we've been justified, verse 1 says, we have peace 
with God. And, and when it's talking about here, peace here, it's, it's, this is not just saying that, you know, there's been a, God has declared a ceasefire. He's not mad at us anymore. No, it means so much more than that. The word peace there, it means there has been a restored relationship. We are in God's family now. There's peace with God. It gets even better than that. Verse 2 says that through Christ, we have gained access access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have gained access to God. And what does that mean? Well, listen, if you, if you want to enter your neighbor's home or your neighbor's apartment, what would you have to do? Well, I guess you'd have to ring the bell, wait for them to answer, explain who you are, explain why you've come, and then maybe if they want to, they'll open the door and let you in. But if you want to enter your own home, all you have to do is take the key, open the door, and walk right in. Why? Because you have access. And the apostle here says that through our faith in Christ, we have gained permanent, ongoing, 24-7 access to the living grace of God. We don't, you don't have to knock. You don't have to wait. You don't have to explain why you're there. You don't have to ask permission to come in. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence to receive mercy and to find grace to help us in our time of need. So listen to me, believer. If, if you are anxious and worried today, are you? You have access to the grace of God. If you are confused and doubting today, you have access to the grace of God. If you are angry and wounded today, you have access to the grace of God. If you've sinned and you feel ashamed today, you have access to the grace of God. Now, why do we have this access? Because we come in the name of His Son. It's through Him. Through Him, we have access. When I was a freshman in college, I, uh, in the dormitory, I had a roommate for just one semester. I roomed with this kid named Tim. He was a Greek kid from St. Louis, and we roomed together for one semester, and we became friends, and we remained friends, but we were never really close from that time on. We didn't run in the same circles, but we, we were friends, and we had roomed together for one semester. About, about seven or eight years after that, when I was in grad school, someone invited me on a trip to Greece. It was kind of a Christian uh, group that was touring different churches and sites in Greece. And, uh, and while we were there, uh, we were on the tour bus. We pull into one particular town. Of course, I'd never been to before. And we're, uh, it's late at night. We're going there to stay in a hotel. And I realized it was the same town that my friend Tim, years before, had told me that his family was from in Greece and that his father was retiring and moving back to that town. And I, I thought, well, what are the odds of that, right? So we're getting off the bus. We're going into the lobby of the hotel. And I just happened to mention that to this Greek pastor who was traveling with us. I said, hey, isn't this weird? I knew this guy who was from this town. And he says to me, what's his name? And I said, Tim Telios. And he goes, oh, that's not a real common name. Maybe, you know, let's grab the phone book and we'll see if we can find that family. It's about 10 o'clock at night, right? He, and he grabs the phone book. There's about five or six families of that name. And, and I'm like, what is this guy doing? And he says, let's start calling people. And I'm like, what are you? It's 10 o'clock at night. 
And we have a number of Greeks here today. Maybe you can explain to me, why are Greeks so friendly? I couldn't understand it. Like, you would never do that in America. Just call somebody at random. But he starts, he dials the first number. He talks to somebody on the other end of the line in Greek. Then he hands me the phone. I'm like, oh, my, what am I getting into? So I, I, I say, hello. And I hear this kind of, uh, it, it was kind of a, a a, a, a hard-sounding hard voice of an older man on the other end of the line. He says, hello. And I say, I say, hello. He goes, who is this? I say, my name is David. He goes, David who? I say, David Ellis. He goes, who are you? And I said, well, years ago, I knew this guy in college, a friend of mine. His name was Tim Tellios. And the voice on the other end just changed immediately. The tone went from, from kind of suspicious and grumpy to joyful and welcoming. He said, you know Tim? I said, yeah, he's a friend of mine. He goes, he's my son. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he's your son. I go, well, and he says to me, why are you calling me? I said, well, it just happened to be in your town. I'm sorry, it's so late. It's not like I told him not to dial, but he called. And the man says to me, listen. Welcome to my town. Come to my house right now. He said, it's 10 at night. He goes, come to my home. Come over here. And, and uh, I, I never, things didn't work out for me to go to Mr. Telios's house. But I have, listen, I have no doubt. I have no doubt from the tone of his voice. If I had gone to his home, the doors would have opened wide. The table would have been spread with food. He would have welcomed me into his home. Why? He didn't know me from Adam. I, I'm calling him out of the blue. It's late at night. It's, it, he wasn't planning on this. It's a great inconvenience. He would welcome me into his home for one reason and one reason only. His son was my friend. And his house, therefore, was my home. That's why we have access to the Father. Listen, you know, do you know this? I hope this is not news for you. We have sinned against the glory of God more times than we can count. We, we have dishonored the glory of the Father more than we could ever retell. But when we come to the Father through faith in the Son, the doors open wide for us. We are welcomed into His presence for one reason only. His Son is our friend. He's the friend of sinners. We have access through him into the presence of God. So what, listen, why is our hope so, if you've trusted in Christ, why should you be able to lay your head on the pillow tonight and just realize, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen this next week. I don't know what's going to happen in my life, but I do know what awaits me. The unchanging glory of God is my inheritance. Why can you be so sure of that? I'll tell you why. You've been justified through faith. You have peace with the Father. You have access to God. You stand in grace, and therefore, we just boast. We boast in the glory of God. It is that certain for us. That's the ground of our hope. Now, I feel like that deserved an amen from someone, right? <laughs> Isn't that good news? I think it's good news, no? It's good news. That's the grounds of our hope. Now, let me talk about the growth of our hope. Ob objectively, Christian, your hope can't grow because it's infinitely large in Jesus. It can't get any bigger. But subjectively, in what you're feeling inside, there's a lot of room for growth, isn't there? 
I mean, it's, it's, it's possible to have hope in Christ but not feel very hopeful. Anybody been there? Right? It's, it's possible to be guaranteed of a future in heaven but still feel very anxious and, and uncertain and afraid. I've been there. So, so what is it as Christians that can cause our, like our, our subjective experiential feeling of growth to increase and become stronger? What causes our hope to grow? Well, you might expect this passage to say, well, if you want your hope to grow, you need to read the Bible more. Right? Or if you want your hope to grow, you need to go to church more. If you want your hope to grow, you need to pray more. You might expect it to say something like that, but isn't this weird? Here's what the apostle writes. He says, if you want your hope to grow, you need to suffer. That's what he says. Verse 3 and 4, not, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know, he says, that suffering produces perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, the, the word there for suffering, this is just kind of the generic term used in the Bible for any kind of trial or any kind of tribulation. It means to be burdened, to be afflicted, to feel anguish, to feel pressure. It means to endure trouble. How many of you have gone through any of those things, right? We all have, right? And, and this is saying that when we suffer, and in that suffering, we just do our best to keep our eyes on Jesus, that suffering begins to change us. That suffering begins to produce perseverance in us. You could translate perseverance as endurance, patience, steadfastness. One version of the Bible translates it as the strength to go on. Usually when you meet people who have that quality in their life, they just don't quit. Have you known people like that? Usually they develop that quality by going through hard times. It's just something about hard times increases perseverance. You don't train for a marathon by sitting on a couch, right? It's, it's uh, perseverance is the product of pain. And then we read perseverance produces character. What is character? Ca character is not just the way you feel um, during a crisis. Character is the way that you respond to that crisis. Character, it's, it's not just what you do, your outward behavior. Character is who you are inside when, when no one is looking. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. The, uh, the message version of the Bible uh, puts it this way. It says, troubles can develop passionate patience in us, and that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue. I wonder if any of you, have you ever known someone that you would say, wow, in her life I see the tempered steel of virtue. In his life I see the tempered steel of virtue. Su suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And then what happens? Character produces hope. That's where hope, that inner sense of hope comes from. So a, a hopeful attitude, it, it's not primarily uh, the result of, of having good circumstances in my life. H hope results from something taking place inside me. And I don't know if you realize that or not, but that is really, really good news. Let, let, me, let me tell you why. Christian, you know what this means? This means that you don't have to wait for your problems to disappear before you're going to have hope. They can increase your hope. 
You don't have to wait for all your prayers to be answered before you have hope, right? Now listen, you don't even have to wait for your own personal struggles with sin to go away before you can have hope, right? These, these struggles are the very things that increase your hope. So you know what this means? I don't know if you walked into this place hopeful, but you can walk out of here today hopeful in Christ today. You don't have to wait for that. That is good news, right? Let me tell you also why it's good news. This means, believer in Christ, that if you are going through a really difficult or discouraging time right now, and I trust that some of you are, this, listen, this, this, this means you're going through a hard time that does not indicate that God has rejected you. It doesn't mean that he's disappointed with you. It does not mean that he's abandoned. Listen, why would it mean that? You've been justified through faith. You've been declared righteous by God. You have peace with the Father. You have access to God. You stand in grace. God will never, ever, ever reject or abandon you, his child, ever. So, so the hardship is not an indication of his displeasure. It's a sign that he's at work in your life right now. He's in work in you, creating within you that kind of hope that rejoices even in suffering, knowing that what awaits us is the glory of God. Now, as he works in your life, the last verse of this passage says, every step of the way, the Holy Spirit is right there with you. Verse 5 says, hope does not put us to shame. You could phrase that, hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love, that's talking about the love of God for us, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Christian, listen, every, every step of the way, through, through the deepest valley, through the darkest night, through your fiercest temptation, through, through your, those moments of your most heartbreaking failure or shame every step of the way. The Holy Spirit is right there with you, communicating to you. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. He 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 loves you. Pouring out the Father's love into your heart. One, one, uh, I'll close with this. One New Testament or theologian named R.C. Sproul, he wrote this about this verse. He said, the love God pours out is no small portion. It's an outpouring of divine love lavished upon us. He pours his love for us into our souls to such a degree that even if the rest of the world hates us, we can know that he loves us and has given us hope. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what the Word promises that you will do. Do what I cannot do. Do what no one here can do. Holy Spirit, in that deeply personal way right now, would you pour out the love of the Father into our hearts? I, I, I pray this, this morning for anyone 
who today is just really wrestling with feelings of hopelessness. I, I pray, God, that you would remind them of every good gift that has already been given to them in Christ and of the, the, the glory that awaits them as they trust in Jesus. And I pray that today, Holy Spirit, you would just lift. Spirit of God, would you do that for us right now today? Would you lift from us as a church feelings of hopelessness, despair? Would you use our trials to build hope within us? And remind us, even as we come to the table today, remind us of the Father's love. In his name we pray.